From enter Sandman to exit Chapman, the Yankees' closer blew an 8-4 lead in the ninth inning to drop the Bronx Bummers to just a two games over 500 and eight and a half games out of first place. We'll react to Wednesday's collapse and Hal Steinbrenner's comments Thursday. With the Subway Series coming this weekend, we preview the games and look back at the Subway Series of the past as the post-amazing but true podcast host Jake Brown and Nelson Figueroa join us. Nobody's getting fired here next on the Pinstripe Pod from the New York Post. All right, here's a Pinstripe Pod. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast with the New York Post. It's Chris Sheeran here with four-time World Series champion Yankees great Jeff Nelson. You'll hear our producer, Jake Brown, as well during the show. Follow the entire crew on Twitter. That's at Chris Sheeran, yes, at NYNelly43, and at Jake Brown Radio. Give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. And write in a nice review if you would. We do appreciate it. Joining us later in the show will be our aforementioned producer and co-host of the Amazing But True podcast, Jake Brown, along with his co-host, Nelson Figueroa, for a special Subway Series crossover segment between both podcasts. But before we get to that, we have to take care of a little Yankee business before we get to the Subway Series, Nelly. And that's what the managing partner, Hal Steinbrenner, uh, met the media as the Yankee game was postponed against the Angels. They'll make it up next month in uh, August. It is July 1st, by the way. But I'm just going to take you through some of the things that Hal Steinbrenner said today at the press conference. He said, um, Aaron Boone and the Yankees coaches are absolutely the right people to lead the team. We're not going to get down. We've had tough losses before. We're going to do everything we can to win, win, win. He said he would also absolutely consider exceeding the luxury tax if the Yankees need another piece to reach the playoffs. He used Masahiro Tanaka, that signing, as an example. On firing personnel in season, he said that his father certainly did that a lot. What people forget is that a lot of times it didn't work. He also said he's his own man. Am I mad at what I see? Absolutely. I'm aggravated, frustrated, angry, but that's not going to push me into a knee-jerk reaction. Steinbrenner said that he is not contemplating or even thinking about the Yankees being sellers ahead of the trade deadline. Uh, He also said he's not worried about Garrett Cole's recent performances, despite the crackdown on the sticky stuff. And one more, he was asked about the attendance, and he said that he's looking at a homestand in mid-July as a big test because season ticket holders will be fully back in their seats. So, Nelly, before I absolutely go off on what happened last night in the Bronx, (laughs) just give us your thoughts on what the uh, owner of the Yankees just said. Well, I mean, he's right in a lot of ways as far as making in-season firings. You know, it didn't really work that much. You try to stir up the team a little bit. Obviously, that's something that Mr. Steinbrenner, his dad, used to do, firing Billy. Martin, a number a number of managers, Yogi Berra, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, he did a lot of that to try, you know, he hated to lose. So obviously he wanted to try to shake up the atmosphere or the clubhouse just to see if they could go a little further, play a little bit better. You know, sometimes that works. I mean, you know, for instance, like, look at the Mets. You know, I, I love Chili Davis, and I think he was, he's an outstanding, smart hitting coach. He was a great player. I, you know, he was one of my favorite teammates with the Yankees. You know, things weren't going well offensively, and they make that little change, and then they started picking it up. You don't know if it's from that, but it's just sometimes a different voice. 
maybe the players all of a sudden start having accountability because ultimately it's their fault. I mean, it's the players' fault for them not playing up to expectations. I mean, look at the way they've, they've lost. You know, sometimes it comes from the coaching. Maybe it com- sometimes it comes from, you know, Brian Cashman as far as how he put together this team. I mean, you look in the winter. I mean, we shake our head or scratch our head sometimes and say, you know, why didn't they move Glaber Torres to second base and maybe do some things like that and, you know, get a left-handed power hitter, sign DD back. You know, you have that solid shortstop. He's a left-handed hitter, left-handed guy in that lineup that you desperately need. I don't like seeing anybody fired. I mean, I love Aaron Boone. I love Marcus Timms. I love the coaching staff. You know, you'd look at last night's game with Judge not playing against Otani and Urshela not playing. You know, if anybody didn't like what Aaron Boone did by sitting them, you know, Brian Cashman, all these people are running the team anyway. It's not just Aaron Boone. It's not like it used to be where the manager's filling out the lineup and maybe he has his bench coach or his hitting coach or or whatever have some input in the lineup. It's all computer driven. It's all like, hey, hey, these are the guys you need to play. These are the guys that hit well in this situation. This is these are the guys that hit in these certain spots in the lineup. Lineup. If anybody didn't like it, they would have said, Aaron, what are you doing? we got to play these guys. And he would have played them. You know, it was one of those things I'm giving them a night off. So, you know, I don't know how much where the blame is. You know, I'm just as frustrated as everybody else. They're not a good team. Uh, you look at them, and as far as going over the luxury tax, they're not just one player away. They're maybe two or three players away. You look at the teams ahead of them, uh, the Red Sox, the, the Rays, now the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays have already made a small move. I mean, they're going to get Dickerson back. Corey Dickerson, an outfielder, left-handed hitter. They're going to get him back sometime at the end of July. They added a piece in their bullpen. They're talking about adding more, and they will. And, and the Red Sox are going to get Chris Sale back. I mean, he's one of the best lefties in the game. And, you know, he's starting to progress really well. They'll get him at some point after the All-Star break as well. And these teams will probably add. And the thing of it is, is that just because the Yankees want players, well, so does everybody else in baseball. So does everyone else that's leading their division or think they're in the wild card. They all want the same type of player. They want a left-handed power hitter. They want a starting pitcher. They want somebody in the bullpen. It's just a matter of what will the Yankees give up? What will they do to go to that extreme to try to add those players to make a difference and to put them where they should be? And that's the top of the AL East. Oakland, Tampa Bay, Cleveland, Toronto, Seattle, all ahead of the Yankees in the wild card. I'll say that before I go into this. Now, a couple of weeks ago, through 60 games, I thought Aaron Boone had a very well thought out quote in one of his press conferences. It was after getting swept by the Red Sox the first time. He said, we have plenty of runway left. 20 games later, that runway is getting carpet bombed. They are 10 and 10 since then in the same position in the standing since then. Two games over 500 as we tape this. The only difference is through 60 games, they were six and a half back. Through 80 games, they're eight and a half back. Not only are the results mediocre, the optics surrounding the team are terrible. Let's be honest. Two days after you say your season's on the line, your best player's on the bench in Aaron Judge in the third game of four against the Angels. Getting a freaking day? I have to agree with Chris Mad Dog Russo. He went on a rant about how baseball's lacking in a relevancy department. How nobody talks about it. And to sit judge when Otani is starting and not in the day game afterwards is just horrendous optics. It is. Not only for the Yankees, but for the game of baseball. It's being tone deaf to the needs of the sport and to the needs of your team. First and foremost, if Otani strikes him out with three straight 100-mile-an-hour fastballs, like Russo said, or Judge hits one 550 feet, like Russo said, it leads Sports Center. Baseball is the talk of the town all over the country, but alas, 
He didn't play even when Clint Frazier left the game. The fans were treated to Tyler Wade in right field. A healthy Aaron Judge was on the bench and Tyler Wade was in right field. No shade at Wade. I respect the dude. I know we said he's a 4A player, but you can't knock the work this guy has put in. I've seen it firsthand. I've talked to him at spring training at the stadium everywhere he's grinded to be where he is and i respect that but when he's out there and judges on the bench that's where you have to draw the freaking line which leads me to what boone keeps saying at press conferences when these days off come into play regardless of who's getting time off judge stanton whoever sanchez i always have to at times keep the big picture in mind boone who i like and i don't fault for this at all is what you just said nelly and i agree with you a thousand percent he's forced to say he's to look out for the big picture what is the big picture Does this team have a big picture? Because right now, the only big thing with this team is that it's a ginormous failure right now. Usually, their warts rear their ugly heads in the postseason, which we've seen the past couple years. But not even Dr. Freaking Pimple Popper could be called in to remedy the pus that is festering within the most iconic uniform known to humankind. If those 70s title teams were the Godfather Part 1 and Nelly's Dynasty teams were the Godfather Part 2, this installment of the most iconic franchise on the planet has to be akin to the Godfather 3 of Yankee teams. Even Al Pacino would tell you, that ain't good. We talked about making moves before at the deadline, but what moves can this team realistically make? What magic wand is there? They need wholesale changes. Their rotation rights checks. Their lineup can't cash. And when they do, like last night, in a seven-run ninth, the bullpen checks out. One or two moves isn't going to cut it. Is this the 2016, the Ike Davis reclamation project year where the Yankees turn into sellers? Well, obviously not, because their owner just said today that they're not going to do that, which was also the last time the team missed the damn postseason and won just 84 games. They're 41-39 and 39 through 80. Based on the current standings, my stupid ass said they were going to win 100 this year because that's how I thought about them leaving spring training. But based on the current standings, you would think that they have to get at least 93 wins to compete for a wild card, realistically. 93 w- wins means they have to go 52 and 30 the rest of the way. Oh, and by the way, this isn't just this year. This is the past three years of failure in the playoffs, too. 100 wins, 103 wins, COVID shortened 33 wins, two one and duns, and a six game loss to the Astros after those 103 regular season wins. That is what makes the Yankees fan base their spin rate into the ceiling. Better than any spin rate with Spider Tack. Mike drop. You stole my thunder with the with the remaining ninety the well the ninety three wins to get in the playoffs. You know they're gonna have to play well over what six fifty ball or whatever it is to to try to make to try to get a playoff spot. I don't know who they're thinking about like trading for. And and we talked about this off the air before we came on, Jeff. What team is dealing the Yankees a star player without asking? Exactly. For the and and how much how much do some of these teams like to deal with the Yankees? I don't know. I, maybe in the past they're like, no, we're not dealing with the Yankees. They're not giving up their top prospects, and that's what we want. If they want to try to win, we'll go somewhere else. And guess what? When you see some the other trades that these teams are making with uh you know the top teams with some of the bottom feeders, you're like, Well, the Yankees could have made that same trade. They, I mean they basically some of these teams teams get nothing for top 
players. Have and no they- fear. We have breaking news in the newsroom. The Yankees have made a trade, but it is not anything exciting. The Yankees have acquired right-handed outfielder Tim Locastro for the Diamondbacks for double-A pitcher Keegan Curtis. Add speed and a center field defensive option to the Yankees. Oh, my God. It's what a Band-Aid. It's a Band-Aid, you know. This is, you can't this, put Band-Aids on. You can't really keep putting is. Band-Aids on teams. And if you don't get significant players, if you don't get top player that can put you over the top, it used to be teams made trades and thought that that trade, that guy was a difference maker. The Yankees need a couple difference makers. And this guy that they just got, I mean, he could be a great, he could be a good player, a good solid player, and and hopefully he helps in some way in that outfield. But he's not a difference maker. One homer, five RBIs. He's hitting 178. He's a body. He's a warm body, and, he, and he's to help in, in the outfield because Stanton is your everyday DH until 2027 is over because 2028, as Ken Davidoff corrected me, is a team option year, and I really would doubt the Yankees would pick him up and give him $10 million and send him on his way when his contract comes up then. But this is just, I don't know how many times I could watch Rugnet at Odor bat. I don't know how what many, about, t- how how many, many times you could watch Aroldis Chapman pitch. I mean, does anyone want to acquire Aroldis Chapman? I mean, since the sticky stuff was banned, this guy's been the worst pitcher on the planet. His first 18 appearances, he had a zero ERA and a zero 89 batting average. Uh, while allowing no home runs over his last 13 appearances, an ERA over 10, opponents are hitting nearly 350 off him. He's walked 12 and struck out 13 and given up four home runs. He said the big problem with him is the command of his fastball after that disastrous ninth inning last night. Do you lose command? Just I mean, I, I don't know how you've been pitching for this long. Does that happen during a season for a reliever? I mean, you could answer that better than me. He's always been a two-pitch pitcher, and all of a sudden he mixed in this splitter you know as far as it's sticky stuff maybe he is using it but from what i understand i never threw a splitter but i think the splitter you need that you can't have sticky stuff on your hands because you need the ball to slide through your fingers and then that's how you get that drop any kind of sticky feeling or tacky feeling it probably enables that ball to it slip through your fingers in the way it should to get that good drop on your splitter as far as his fastball command it's all about mechanics you, you know i'm sure they're down in the bullpen or trying to figure something out but here's if you look at it, and, and the Yankees are full of stats. They're a very analytical team. They spend millions of dollars on these analytics. An over 10 ERA in his last 13 appearances. When you have an outing like last night, that's when the instinct of the manager comes in and says, you know what? After two walks, I need to get somebody out because I need to get this win. We just scored seven runs in the first inning off Otani. We probably came into that game thinking that our odds of winning were probably not good. He had a 2-5 ERA, and Otani's a really good pitcher. He's starting to pitch deeper into the game all of a sudden they score seven runs and they knock him out would he throw a third of an inning maybe that was it and his control was all over the place Madden got him out of there you have to win that game in order to win that game if Chapman is struggling and walking he walked three guys and he gave up the granny you need to get him out of there before that grand slam you might need to get him out of there before that third walk and to load the bases you got to understand how things are going with relievers and if things aren't going so well you better have a backup plan. And their backup plans are usually too slow. And, and that's what bothers me a little bit. Uh, that's not just the Yankees. It's a lot of things. You know, when relievers go bad, backup plans are way too slow. The damage is already done. And the next thing you know, you're getting this guy and putting him in 
when all of a sudden you've lost the lead. You know, that doesn't make any sense to me anymore. Teams like to get relievers up and they're putting them into the game. They don't like to dry hump them and get them up and get them down, get them up and get them down. I mean, it's it's a uh, it, it's a problem. It never used to be that way. Your relievers used to know how to warm up and knew how to get ready. You get hot one time and if you get up again, then you try to ease your way through it. And when you know, hey, I'm going to get, a, get in, then you throw a few extra pitches at 100%. Uh, it's a game they had to win and they lost. And I think that was the instinct. That was the feeling of the game. And maybe you can put that on on Aaron Boone by not removing Chapman when, it, when they should. If they think he's going to roll another triple play, then they're smoking crack. <laughs> wow. And the point, you know, we, we've talked stiffness. Now we're talking dry humping on the Nelly, pinstripe pod. Nelly taking us uh, back to middle school, Jake. <laughs> yeah, wow. That is, that is a, a true throwback. And then it's talking about smoking crack. That is not middle school. If <laughs> no. it was, then uh, you, you were in a lot of trouble. Uh, but uh, one point before, you know, we move on a Subway series is LaCastro is 100 percentile speed. His average is 30.7 feet per second, tied with Trey Turner for second highest of any player this season it's an element the Yankees have really not had so it seems like this move was made maybe it helps small balls stealing bases moving uh moving base to base as you always like to say Shearney station to station he wasn't an Arizona team that's the laughing stock of the league so maybe he could be a guy off the bench and pinch run for sure, so uh, why don't Stanton. you just why don't you just pick a guy off the scrap heap from there the worst team in baseball and I'll make a trade with them two things before we get to our awesome subway series segment which you have to stick around for because the four of us had a really good time it's the first time in 21 years that the yankees blew a lead of four plus runs in the ninth inning or later the last one was august 18th 2000 nelly one of your teams it's the fourth time in team history and the first time since 1954 that the yankees scored seven runs in the first inning and lost just amazing stuff i mean you go to sleep you think you got one in the bag and Woof, you wake up to text from Jake Brown saying, ah, can't wait for you to go off tomorrow. <laughs> anyway, with part one of the Subway Series coming to the Bronx this weekend, we will have a special Pinstripe Pod Amazing But True podcast crossover segment with Jake and Nelson Figueroa. That's coming up next right here on the Pinstripe Pod. We have a special Amazing But True meets Pinstripe Pod crossover segment for all of you right now. In the theme of part one of the Subway series coming this weekend, we bring both shows together for the first time in the history of New York Post Baseball Podcast. So let's welcome everybody in. If you don't know me, I am producer Jake Brown, host of Amazing But True with my co-host Nelson Figueroa, former Mets pitcher 2008 2009 he was an emmy award-winning tv analyst he spent nine years in the big leagues the older women love him they love his looks i get comments all the time and he is my co-host and he's the minor leagues all-time strikeout leader there you go nelson figaro leading the minor leagues in strikeouts we do amazing but true mondays and thursdays let's go to the pinstripe pod crew Jeff Nelson, four-time World Series champion, 96, 98, 99, 2000. He's a 2001 AL All-Star. He's one of the greatest relievers and arguably the greatest middle reliever of all time. He was part of two of the winningest teams in the history of baseball, 116 wins with the 2001 Mariners, 114 with the 98 Yankees, and spent 15 years in the big leagues. He is half of the pinstripe pod, which also drops on Mondays and Thursdays throughout the 
the season. His co-host, another fellow Baldy, goes by the name of Chris Sheeran. You can catch him on the Yes Network, where he's been for two decades now. Yes Network pre- and post-game batting practice today. The Yankees, the Nets, he's the New York Liberty play-by-play voice. He is the Rowan College Radio Hall of Fame class of 2013. He has won six Emmy Awards. Welcome in the Baldy, Chris Sheeran. So glad to have you. And and me, I, I don't have those labels. I'm the self-proclaimed king of Astoria, the self-proclaimed podfather. Produce seven podcasts. Wear the same shirt to every single game I go to. Wait, I, don't I've forget been, about the girls with the white Nikes. Yeah, I bring girls with white Nikes to baseball games and sometimes sit too far away for Nelly's liking amongst the common folks. And if there's a TV folks. camera, then it's me because you're on every <laughs> single TV and you make sure that you post it every time on social jumbo, media. Jumbo always finds the jumbo. <laughs> <laughs> the jumbo. Jumbotron finds me. The jumbo shrimp goes in my belly. We'll have jumbo shrimp. We'll all be there Friday night in the Bronx at Yankee Stadium. Cheerney Zerdy teas lobster and shrimp. Texted you guys the list of food I had at the Yankee game the other day. It was uh, a reason for my parents leaving a voicemail saying uh, BMI is real and stop eating so much. So- Push away. Push away. <laughs> It is real, and we will be eating like champions this weekend. The Mets and Yankees have not been playing like champions, but let's start with the Subway Series and the history because this is my favorite series of the year, guys. I've been going to at least one of these games every year since 2000, and we'll get into Nelly's days, but really started back in like 97, and then 99, it had its big moment. And here, courtesy of MLB here is Matt Franco had that walk-off single, and this will be the, the sole Mets highlight of this segment. Brings the hands together. Runners take a lead at all three bases. One, two to Franco. Line drive, base hit in the right field. Henderson scores. Here comes Alfonso. Here comes O'Neill. score to the plate. Alfonso slides. He's safe. The Mets win it. The Mets win it. Matt Franco with a line drive, single to right, and he's being mobbed by his teammates. That is a classic call and one of the few Mets highlights that there is. That was during Nelly's run. Nelly was in that game. Nelly, do you remember that game? Matt Franco's pinch hit walk-off single. No, I don't remember losses. You know, I kind of forget those, put, put those behind I like me. It. I like it. No, I don't remember, but it's, you know, it did happen in interleague first started in 97 and I, I'm not a fan of it. I thought it was exciting then because we got to see the National League and I never played in the National League. We saw all the NL East. We were supposed to start switching leagues, but I think we saw the NL East for the first five years. So all the great stadiums back then when the NL East, Philadelphia Veterans Stadium, old, uh, what, Shea Stadium, which was really exciting to play in. But I loved, I loved the interleague play. I mean, as far as the Subway Series, I loved that we played the Mets and the road trip was a 30-minute bus ride through the city. Yeah, the Subway Series for Mets players, that was pretty much our World Series. If you could win New York, that would be everything because regular season, you weren't going to be able to compete with the pinstripes. You knew that, but it was like, all right, if we can kick their ass just this once and it never happened but me and you sheer and observed as a fan and to me it was like the world it was chance at bragging rights i have so many yankee fans throughout my life including you guys who have picked on me my whole life but you know in high school it probably affected me more because i was just a child now you could call me a fat ugly ogre and, and i'm just gonna laugh and be like you're right but as a kid you get picked on yankees fans oh world series 27 for sheer you were on that side of picking on us mets fans in your 20s when you were getting the rowan college hall of fame and and as a fan back then well 97 i was 24 years old i was already working for crying out loud but yeah it was cool back then and i agree with nelly in 97 it was awesome in 98 99 but you know all the spankings that occurred throughout the years in the subway series i'll be honest with you it got to the 
point where the Yankees in 98, Nelly, that team, my grandmother was a huge, huge Yankee fan. And she watched every one of your, every one of your games. Like she was up on the West coast until two in the morning. She was 90 years old and watching you guys. And even back then I, I would kid her because when, when they lost, she would speak broken English. She was Italian. So I would say to her when I, when, when you guys lost in 98, it was few and far between, let's be honest. But the days that you did lose, I would say something to her just to get her goat. And she would bring up a player and say, he should go back to Columbus, you know, the grandma, come on, they're, they're, they're destroying <laughs> teams right now. But it was so funny how she knew like the Yankee farm system too, because that's all she did. Her life was your teams, Nelly. And, you know, I got to say by the 2000 world series and by the time Louis Soho got that winning hit in game five, I got to tell you, I got to be honest. I, I was watching the game with my dad in our TV room and I pretty much fell asleep in the rocking chair because it was getting boring beating your rear ends every wow. five seconds. <laughs> wow. Falling and listening and listening to the Mets fans talk and the Mets players even talking a lot of smack back then. You had Agbayani, oh, we're going to win in five. The Yankees are old. You had Turk Wendell. So there was a couple other guys that were talking some smack in the paper as far as, okay, this is our year. The Yankees backed into the playoffs, which we did. But, you know, oh, they're old. You know, we're winning in five. We're going to win New York over you know that was something i think with tory they would we never did we got basically got in trouble if we ever said anything as far as talking smack or talking doing something in the paper we said you know what just leave it for the field let everybody else talk smack and it was uh it was nice listen i i, I want to re- like throw up thinking about the subway series and all the ways that it's played out but as a mets fan as a former met that's all we could do is talk smack. We're trying to get in your head. Why? The Yankees, the, 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 evil, the evil empire has that stoic exterior. Nobody gets in. Nobody gets into the personalities. We don't know anything about you guys. You guys are a well-oiled machine. This is what you do. This is normal for you guys. Four out of five last World Series. Yeah, sure. This is easy for us. That's the kind of thing that, what are we supposed to do? We suck. We're going to get destroyed? Yeah, hell yeah. We're, we're going to knock you out in the first round. <laughs> Although we know we it's not going to happen. What are they supposed to do? I mean, Turk Lundell, Agbayani. You notice the big players weren't even talking smack. It was the guys on the side that just in case. Just in case something good happened, then, you know, they lived forever as a hero because they said something. Yeah, and the height of this rivalry obviously came in 2000 when Nelly picked up that fourth ring. And Nelly won game four, and then game five came, and I thought Mike Piazza was hitting a homer on this final out. And how about this? Jeff Nelson following that clip, working with MLB.com at the time, and that was courtesy of Fox Sports, that Game 5 2000 World Series final out, Mariano Rivera. Jeff Nelson talking about, I think it was the 2018 Yankees before the Subway Series, and the clip is kind of still relevant today. Listen up. Talking about two great teams, two great franchises in one city. And with the Mets this year having such a huge lead in the NL East and the Yankees, you know, that are behind Toronto trying to get that AL East title, not playing that one game playoff. And for the first time, they're playing meaningful games. When you're playing these teams and these two teams are playing with something on the line, it's so exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. And, you know, the Mets lead obviously isn't big anymore. It was five. Now it's down to two. This comes at a pivotal time, guys, for both teams. The Mets are at this crossroads of another pitching injury 
They're coming in banged up. They might get Brandon Nimmo back, but you're not going to see DeGrom. Their lead is down to two. The Yankees are, you know, eight plus games out here and trying to fight for Boone's job and fight for their own jobs and trying to get into a pennant race. This is a big series for both sides. Hey, if they could sweep a a struggling Mets team right now and get back into it before this uh, final week heading into the All-Star break, that's pretty big for them. It would be big for them. You know, the way they're going now, I just don't see them sweeping the Mets. I mean, I don't care if the Mets are banged up or not. You know, just to try to win two out of three, I think would be a huge plus. It's exciting because now, you know, with all the stuff that's going on, Mets fans have got to be ecstatic because it's always been all kinds of controversy with the Mets, whether it's a GM or their pitching coach or their manager, whatever happens on the field, all the injuries. And now you go across into the Bronx and the Yankees, well, besides some of the controversy, they're losing and everybody wants everyone fired. So, you know, the Mets fans have got to be on top of the world now that it's all of a sudden the Yankees are getting the back page with all the crap that's going on. That's one of the biggest things, right? That I remember when Brody Van Wagenen came and he said he wanted the Mets to be relevant. The Mets to be relevant. They wanted to steal the back page from the Yankees. And they tried to do it on the field mostly. But, of course, it always turned to page six is where you would find all the Mets. Shout out to New York Post. And that's one of the things that if you look at this series that's coming up, you have the Yankees reeling right now. And the Mets, yeah, you know what? They lost in a laugher last night. But the injuries are real. The injuries have been like this all year long. Every week, you're just holding your breath thinking which starter is going to go down now, which reliever is going to blow out now. It's just nonstop repetitive. You're going to, every time somebody rounds a base, you're like, okay, he's hurt. You're used to it by now. And the Mets have played so well with the guys who weren't even on the roster just a month ago. They're playing so well and they're playing and they're staying afloat, but Look at what the Nationals are doing. They're coming back. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. Schwarber has single-handedly carried that team. And this is the same team that did it in 2019 where everybody left them for dead after 50 games. And then they turned it on and kicked it into another gear. Yet the Mets are just hanging on barely up at the top. Yes, it's a huge series for the Mets. Huge series for the Mets. But the Yankees, being eight games out, there's a little bit of pressure now. Chapman has looked worse and worse and worse every time out there. He's been saved by three, three triple plays. How the hell does... Nellie, how many triple plays returned in your career? Uh, Maybe one. I, I only remember 15 one. 15 years. Over 15, yeah, 15 years, years. Maybe one. There was three in a month. <laughs> well, he had a horseshoe. He must have lost the horseshoe because it's uh, the horseshoe has kind of disappeared lately. Yeah, I'll say. it's It kind of disappeared for the whole team. They were 12 and 14 in April. They bounced back. They had that run in May. They finished May 17 and 11. And they finished June 12 and 14. And they finished June, let's be honest, guys. With a thud. That loss last night, if you want to take the Yankees season and put it into a time capsule, one game to represent the entire season so far, it's that game last night. The rain delays. The fans staying through those rain delays. Brett Gardner hitting a solo shot for a little insurance to make it 8-4 going into the ninth inning. Chapman coming in. All right. Boone's not messing around. You can't get on Aaron Boone. You can't for bringing Chapman in there. He knows how big that win was. He knows he had Aaron Judge on the damn bench. You can't say two freaking days ago, okay, that the season is on the line. And then you put the lineup out there and Urshela and Judge are on the goddamn bench. You can't do that. I know Judge has played 75 of 80 games. I get it. But he's your best freaking player. He's your best player. He can't be on the bench. He's got to be in the lineup. Enough already with these days off. 
Give him the day off today on the on the day game. You're taking him out when Shohei Otani is pitching. What that would have done for baseball, Judge Otani, and he's on the freaking bench. And then when Frazier gets hurt, Tyler Wade is in right field. I'm gonna have a heart attack. I gotta stop. Figgy's used, used to another bald guy in glasses with his bald head getting red. Now it's a uh, listen. That was. That was absolutely phenomenal. In the beginning of the game, what a genius this Aaron Boone is. He could see yes. the future. <laughs> oh, my God. I sat there and I go, wait a minute. Wasn't everybody bitching about the lineup construction and it, it's, this team needs to score runs? Well, there you go. Just off Otani. They did it without Judge. They did it without Urshel. This Yankee team is about to turn it back on and then enter not the Sandman, the Chapman. <laughs> the quicksand. Yes. The, the quicksand. We'll throw it back now to a moment. We'll cheer Yankees fans up. And it's something I yell whenever there's a pop up that I want to be dropped. This is what I yell. And, and Figgy was on the Mets this year in 2009. And the 3 1. Popped up. Castillo. Dropped the ball. He dropped the ball. Here comes to Sarah. And the Yankees win. Oh my goodness! He dropped the ball. Yeah, that's all I can take of that. That's Michael K. The Yes Network and Figgy. You were on the team that year, and you, you've talked to Luis Castillo about when he got booed on opening day. I guess it was in the following year, 2010. And what did what did you say? Listen, now? he he got booed a lot after he signed that four year deal, right? But uh, after that drop right there, so I used to always try and cheer him up. They'd be booing. He'd come back and sit down, and I sit next to him in the dugout, and I go, "It's not boo you're hearing. It's Lou." Luis Castillo, <laughs> Lou. And he look at me, he go, what's wrong with you? Leave me alone. I can't even imagine the isolated feeling you have right there when that ball hits off your glove and drops and you lose the game because you didn't catch a pop-up. Something you did since you were five years old. The same way, ninth inning to win the game. I got it. And he didn't catch it. There couldn't have been more of an absolute right then and there. I, I think you put him right on suicide watch. Yeah, well, for one, who are you playing? You know, you're playing against the Yankees. If this was any other city or any other team that the Mets were playing against, it was forgotten. Okay, okay, you dropped a fly ball and you lost the game. No big deal. The Subway Series record just for Nelly's edification is 54 and 74 for the Mets. Oh, that's not very good. <laughs> and, and, and of course, and of course. Closer. One and four in the World Series. Yeah, that one, that one, that one I knew off the top of my head. Um, well, you know, I mean, you look at this series going in, and obviously it's big for the Yankees because they played so poorly, and, and you at least want to beat the Mets two out of three. But guys, you've done. I mean, I do Marlins stuff, so I see the NL East all the time. And going into the season, I thought the NL East was going to be the best division in baseball. I said, you got Marlins locked in, sixty game season, anything can happen. And you know, their true colors are now they're eleven games under five hundred, and they're in last place. But of the other four teams, the Nationals, the Phillies, the Braves, and the Mets were all really good teams, and you knew they were going to compete. The Mets, with all the injuries, the other three teams stunk. They sucked. And now they're starting to play good baseball. And now you're seeing maybe some of those injuries coming back to the Mets. And now the lead is now two games. You see the Nationals starting to turn things around because they were playing horrible. And the Braves and the Phillies, the Phillies just, they're good, they're, they're good except when you get into their bullpen. They're the worst team in baseball when you get into their bullpen. But as far as that, I think the Mets are going to start feeling some heat now if they haven't already because the other three teams right behind them 
are very good teams, and those injuries come back come back and haunt them. So this is a really big series for them as well. You know, they come out of here and losing three or losing two out of three, they could either find themselves a game up or even tied or even out of the first place. Why do you think there's so many injuries in the game today as opposed to when you guys played? We threw all the time as a pitcher. We were playing long toss. If we, you know, you're throwing three and four days in a row if you're in the bullpen. Go back to that game five in the World Series when we played the Mets. I was up ready to go in the game five times during that day. And I had the next inning if we didn't go ahead and take the lead. And I went from maybe throwing in the in the 90s to about 85. And I'm like, okay, this is going game six because I have nothing when I go out there. And then even the position players, you were playing every day. And we had guys on the Yankees that were constant weight room junkies. And they would go in the weight room after the game. Paul O'Neill, Tino, Bernie, these guys were in the weight room all the time. And even after the game, okay, I got to work out. And they were playing the next day, whether it was a day game or not. Guys played. You didn't take time off. I mean, there was no way any guys on my team when I played would ever accept coming out against a guy like Shohei Otani. If Otani was on the mound, we had guys fighting for the bat rack, not saying that they would have a good day, but like, you know what? I want to play against the best. Uh, You look like Don Mattingly. He wanted to play against Randy Johnson every single time. No, I'm not sitting a bench. I don't care if this guy throws 98 and has no idea where the ball's going. I want in the game. And these guys, the load management, oh, we can't throw relievers two days in a row or or the 100 pitch count. You know, guys threw. I mean, 115, 120 pitch. Pitches was nothing. I mean, it was, and then they came back five, four days later, five days later, and they were doing the same thing. You know, you never had the injuries. My whole career, I had one guy had Tommy John. It was Norm Charlton. He was thrown in Texas. He blew his arm out. That was the only guy I ever saw get that blew out on my team. I mean, because guys played. They didn't care. They wanted to be in the game every single time. Yes, the money wasn't as great. I mean, it was great back then. I mean, considering the time, you know, in 96, you talked about guys eating right. Guess what our spreads were in between after batting <laughs> practice in 96? We sent the clubhouse guy. We won a World Series, and we ate McDonald's every single day Yes, yes. after batting practice. You had yes. Jeter, Posada, the best players in the, in the league eating McDonald's, double cheeseburgers, Big Macs, nuggets, whatever. Clubhouse guy was coming back with a box of McDonald's, and he would just set them on your chair if you wanted it. Every single game after batting practice was what guys ate before the game. I've never related more to a baseball player than that <laughs> moment right there. Eating McDonald's and then Albert Almora throwing 55 miles an hour last night, which was actually my <laughs> fastball uh, in high school, I think. So uh, those are Same. two two relatable moments. Well, you, Sheeran, are on the shelf. I mean, you have you, you have a partially torn rotator cuff now? I do. I just found out. I had an MRI yesterday, and I'll, I'll be going to my orthopedic doctor tomorrow to get the prognosis. Nelly's he response said, to the text was hilarious. He said, you old curse word. <laughs> yeah. Well, I have no business to be still pitching at 47 years of age. He's so on the IL. I, I might be on the retirement list there, Figgy. <laughs> what was the worst injury you had, Figgy? Nelly had the bone chips. What did you have? I, I had a rotator cuff tear. I had a partial thickness tear of my rotator cuff. I was with the Pirates at the time, threw a ball straight to the backstop, cleared everybody. And uh, Jason Kendall comes walking out and he's like, you all right? Pitching coach comes out. And I look at him and I go, I'm good. Marm just got really hot for a second. Like something uh, <laughs> made a sound. I'm like, I'm all right. 
So I throw a couple of warm-ups. We're good. I finish out the inning. I go into the dugout. I'm high-fiving. Lloyd McClendon says, hey, can you give me another one? I said, uh, yeah, I got you. I got you. I'll go back out. I went back out. I threw seven sinkers, got three ground balls. I come out. I go to high-five, and my high-fives are getting lower. I went in the shower. I grabbed the shampoo bottle, and I couldn't hold it up. It fell right out of my hand. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is not good. So I walk out. And it's funny because I walked out just towel around my waist, soaking wet, soap still all over me. And I tell the trainer, I go, my arm's killing me. I go, I can't even hold a shampoo bottle. And he goes, dry off, (laughs) put on some clothes and then come back. And so I go back in and we do the little stress test right in the beginning. I can't hold them both arms up at the same time. My left arm stays up. My right arm gets pushed down every time with pain. They go, the doctor's coming tomorrow. I said, all right. And they go, we're going to get exit physicals. And we had a 12-game road trip to end the season. So this is with 12 games left in the season. I'm the long man for the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, which means I'm pitching every other day. After that moment where the doctor comes in and he says, you might have like a, a slap terror or something like that. You know, Jason Bay had one this last season, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. We'll figure it out. So he says, you know, we'll give you some anti-inflammatories. A couple days off, you should try and finish out the season. I didn't even warm up, Nelly. I didn't warm up the rest of the 12 games. And after the season, I wind up having surgery. But for those 12 games, I never forget it. I laughed because I think the last three, I went out in sneakers to the bullpen. I'm like, I'm daring them to have me even warm up. They didn't put me on the DL, nothing. So they let the season finish. They're like, we're going to get our doctor to check you out. The doctor checks me out, says I have a partial thickness tear in my shoulder. It's going to require surgery six to nine months, but it's only a 30% tear. I said, well, can I rehab it? You can, but if it's still there after the rehab, then you wasted six months. I said, well, all right, then just you know, fix it and let's get moving. So I asked the doctor, the team doctor, I go, how many of these have you done? And he says, three. <laughs> I go, wow. I, I go, I go, I'm going to um, get a second opinion of that. I don't doubt your work, my friend, but this is my career. So I went to Neil Elitrosh in LA. He was the Dodgers doctor who was doing almost the same exact surgery on their first round draft pick. So I went out there and did that. Pirates released me the day of the surgery. Like literally I'm walking, really? I'm walking, oh, wow. I'm walking to the building and I get the phone call from Dave Littlefield. And he says, Hey, Nelson, you know, big day, you know, the rest of your career. want to wish you all the best. I'm like, thank you. You know, I appreciate that. Wow. This is a class act right here. You know? <laughs> and then he goes, we're going to go ahead and um, take you off the roster. And I said, yeah, you're going to put me on the 60 day and you know, until I get healthy. And he goes, no, no, we're going to go ahead and give you your uh, unconditional release. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And he says, yeah, you know, um, you know, wish you all the best. Thank you for everything, but uh, we're going to go ahead and give you a release. And I'm like, I literally blew out pitching for you. It's on film, and you're just going to release me now. I had the surgery, wake up, and now I'm doing rehab with 70-year-old ladies who just got their rotator cuff and their hips replaced, and they're doing this. I'm in the same freaking facility. I don't get all the good stuff. I didn't get to, you know, have the trainers working on me six to eight hours a day and, you know, working on the rest of my body. And get. I was in a regular rehabilitation place. Oh, sorry. Sorry you had to be like a like one of us, like a normie. I can't <laughs> wait. You saw Sierney in the corner while you were doing it. Yeah. I'm just picturing no, Sierney, no. Figgy, and then 70-year-old women. No, just no. So, so, the, so the, the kicker of the whole thing is, right, the workman's comp lady calls me, and she she says, can you lift a box? I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I can lift a box. She goes, can you sit at a desk for more than four hours? What? What are these questions? This is where they were giving me my workman's comp based on these questions. And I said, do you know what I used to do for a living? She goes, says a uh, professional baseball player here. I go, yeah, I blew out my rotator cuff. It's the most integral part of throwing a baseball. And she says, uh-huh. Okay. So can you hold a box? <laughs> Can you? <laughs> and I, yeah, it's a great story. Oh my God. About to be working at Walgreens as a pack. 
<laughs> I'm like, I'm not rehabbing to be a, a welcoming guy at Walmart. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get Albert Pujols out in June. You know what I'm saying? And this, and they freaking the lady is. I swear, Nelly. Every month she calls me with the same thing, and I go, "Can I speak to your supervisor?" Like this is the Pirates Workman's Comp people. They changed over to this wow. company, and that's all Are the lady. Any baseball fans? Oh my available? god! I told her. I said. I go, I don't know if I'm okay. I don't know if I'm okay. The only way I will know if I'm okay is if I'm back to throwing at a high enough velocity that I can get out. Till then, because how it works normally. Right. Until then, it's a guessing game because normally you have the rehab assignment. You have, you know, the the, the time to freaking work with the team and you're getting checked on the radar. I didn't have a radar gun. There was no pocket radar back then. So here I am and I'm, you know, playing catch. I'm, I'm with all the injuries that are coming into this place. I started to see some familiar faces. So I'm playing catch with Trevor Hoffman. Yeah, that's my flex. I'm rehabbing with Trevor Hoffman. You so, went from 70-year-old women playing bingo to Trevor Hoffman. Because, it was, because it was now guys were training at this, this sports facility. They were training to get back and better but here's a funny part there was another guy that was around that around that time who got hurt playing basketball at the Aaron Boone facility. Oh, <laughs> Aaron yeah. Boone yeah and it, he get he gets hurt and I remember it because it was like you know the, the shot heard around the world we all got the phone call dude did you hear about Booney what happened blew out his knee how playing basketball in the back with yeah 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 <laughs> <laughs> that was it we were done we were done. They shut down the basketball. No more basketball. No more doing anything ridiculous. But yeah, it, it was such a hard, long process to get back from that shoulder surgery. Usually guys don't come back from that. I mean, the shoulder stuff is, yeah. you, never, you usually That's don't the come back. One. Yeah. Figgy wins line of this crossover podcast. I'm not rehabbing to go back to work at Walmart. I'm rehabbing to get Albert Pujols in June. That was the line of this podcast. <laughs> and he's rehabbing with the 80-year-old women that's on Jake's uh, dating app. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, we have competition. <laughs> Nelly, <laughs> Nelly from the weeds. Yes, what do you sir. think? I put interest, bingo, age range, 85 to 25. <laughs> he, he, could talk, he could talk to them about how cholesterol yeah, they're like, oh, you have a high cholesterol. I do too. Maybe we should get a low cholesterol dinner sometime at Ben's Deli in Bayside. That's teeth <laughs> optional. Teeth are optional. Oh, oh that's gosh. that's a road I don't want to go down. But, oh God. Yeah. Well, you know, I'll tell you these. Every time I talk to someone, if it, middle aged and older, even my mom was like, you know, Nelson is a very handsome man. I'm like, Mom, I know. I have to hear this from everyone. I I get it. He, I don't. I think he looks like a bum, but some people think he's attractive. You know, that's a. No, a he, I'm kidding. He's yes. harsh. He's a good. He's a good looking dude. You he's know, harsh. maybe I'm just jealous. He has hair, and I don't have hair, or none of us. Uh, none, the other <laughs> the three of us don't thing, have hair. The one good thing about tomorrow is that Nelson and I will be in the sa- at the same game. So regardless of whoever they recognize, we'll, we'll just both wave. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> when they say, hey, Nelly. Honestly, please, I want to get it on video, both of you waving in response. <laughs> no matter what. You know, it's going to be him more than me, right? So I'm, I'm going to just, w- every time they say it, hey, Nelson. Well, Nelly told us when they went earlier, someone asked for him to take a picture of, like, what, him and oh, his girlfriend, yeah. and he had no yeah, idea. I was sitting them. by myself to the Yankee game, and they came down, and they uh, they said, hey, you mind taking a picture? I'm like, no, not at all. They had no freaking clue. Oh. Nelly went to pose, like, no, not with you, old man. No, yeah, I, I, took, I don't know who you are. I took a selfie, and I handed it to him. Like, so there you go. <laughs> I do want to see that dynamic, see the true fans that they do recognize you. What's the over-under of the calories that I intake at, in, the, Ooh, in these wow. seats? 
thousand, five thousand. Yeah, I'm going over. I, Even yeah. at five thousand, no. I'm going over. Oh, no, at least ten thousand. You will <laughs> 10, have thousand. Oh my you god! You will have. You will. I'm telling you, you will have. And, and I know you. I know how you prep. I'll just yeah. leave oh, that. It, it, this is tailgating. This is tailgating eating, not even the, the game. This is going to be a triple double of eating. I'm going to be in a diabetic coma by the time this the sixth is, inning hits. This is like this is like the Russell Westbrook of eating that's about oh, to happen. Jake, you, you don't have a hair on your ass if you don't go into that spread in the Yankee suite, whatever they have. If you don't go Kobayashi style and just start shoving them in, just oh. <laughs> see how many you can I'll get be banned for, before security I'll be banned. You. Before security Look, grabs you, you, you could walk to the buffet as many times as you want. The only time you have to pay for anything is the alcohol. So you could sit yeah. there and eat as much as you want at the buffet at the sit down dinner place. And then you walk downstairs and there's another full restaurant. Jake Biyashi. Jake Biyashi. Jake Biyashi. Is it unlimited diet? Yeah, no, no gold, gold shoes. shoes. I, Nelly hates the gold shoes. I won't wear them, but uh, you'll get your first dose of the amazing Petrusha. We'll probably have stains all over it by the time. Uh, <laughs> the, as long as there's unlimited Diet Coke, that's the uh, important. Yeah, that, that uh, really that really seals it. That you're playing for the push. Right. It's it's a diet soda. I'm good. <laughs> it's diet. It's healthy. That's, that that's was my like logic. that was like Refrigerator Perry back in the day with those McDonald's commercials. Yes. He yeah, had that stack of food on his plate and a Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Take the refrigerator brown. I'm a, I'm excited. It'll be a fun night. I, I still. Oh, you guys from last year. Do we make another? I already had the bet with Sarah. If the Yankees win the series or sweep, I have to. I guess it has to be at a Met game, and Figgy's going to end up getting it on the scoreboard. Get my nails painted, Mets colors. I don't mind a manicure pedicure, no nail polish, but I actually have to get nail polish. I guess we can't do a bet because I still need to pay up on the steak dinner, which I guess will not be tomorrow since we'll be eating at the Legends. Well, but you uh, can't can't help COVID, but we'll get there eventually. Oh, yeah. This summer, we will do a, Met, a Mets game maybe afternoon and then a post-game steak dinner at some point. When Nelly's not traveling around the globe, where's Waldo uh, <laughs> over there always traveling? All right, what's our prediction? I'm going to say Mets take the series two out of three. I like that we got uh, Walker and Stroman going, maybe lose with McGill, maybe win that one. I think the Yankees are reeling. The Mets are probably getting Nimmo back this weekend. I think that is huge for the top of their lineup and getting guys on base to set up the order. I'll say Mets two out of three Nelly what do you got I'm gonna say Yankees two out of three the way this season has gone the fact that they're missing DeGrom they had a crappy April they had a great May they had a crappy June they have 16 games wrapped around the all-star break that are absolutely must win with the Astros Red Sox Rays and Phillies I'm going to say they sweep the Mets this weekend. Wow. I, I, I think without DeGrom going, I think they need to sweep the Mets out of the Bronx this weekend. I got the Mets winning two out of three, and it depends on one thing. Stroman, we don't know, right? Because bereavement list, he hasn't been throwing. But knowing him, he probably is throwing anyway. Like, is it going to be Pouty Stroman? Is it going to be Stroman who overdoes it, and especially in the Bronx, big stage? Taiwan Walker, I'm, I'm good with. I think he's going to compete very, very well. You're going to have probably Tyler McGill. Didn't pitch poorly, again, against the Braves. That's not easy to do when you're facing the same team in your debut. You're facing the same team back-to-back because they kind of, you know, they learn a little bit about you. I don't know. I don't know how McGill will do in the big stage. That's the one that I think the Yankees will win handily. 
But I like the other two. The Mets going to be able to compete. And they've got to score runs, man. Two runs or less is getting ridiculous. Jacob DeGrom can't pitch every day. Fourth of July, Sunday, a 7 p.m. game. There might be fireworks going off mid-game. So <laughs> the both teams are going to have to deal with mid-game fireworks. And uh, if I lose, I'm bringing if, – if we get in the scoreboard, I'm bringing a sign that says, I lost a bet on a piece of paper. I'm going to bring something that says it when I have to flash my Mets-painted fingernails. So, so the Jumbotron knows that uh, – I didn't do that uh, openly. Jake Brown, Nelson Figueroa, amazing but true. We're on Mondays and Thursdays. Check out our show. Check out the Pinstripe Pod. Also Mondays and Thursdays. Both of our shows have had a cavalcade of star guests. So go back in the archives and check them out. Love working with all you guys and uh, excited to uh, go to the game Friday night, stuff our faces, and watch some baseball, hopefully uh, weather permitting. It's saying an 80% chance of rain right now. Hopefully that changes and they get it in. Amazing but true. Pinstripe pod crossover. Follow Shearney, Chris Sheeran, yes. Nelly, NY Nelly, 43. Figgy at Figgy NY. Me at Jake Brown Radio. Thanks for tuning in. That says goodnight to episode 6060, the Kyle Higashioka edition of the Pinstripe Pod, our Yankees podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Brian Mungia for producing the show. Please dive into Apple Podcasts right now. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a positive review. We do appreciate it. For Jeff Nelson, I'm Chris Sheeran. We're back on Monday looking back at the three-game Subway Series and looking ahead to their series with the Mariners. Enjoy the Subway Series, and thanks for listening, everyone. <laughs>